Father, we thank you for all the things that go on in our homes. Thank you that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of joy in marriage. One day you're fussing, the next day you're rejoicing. Parents struggle with children, children struggle with parents, and yet you continue to lead us to build a home. Thank you for homes. Lord, thank you for the contentment that the Holy Spirit gives to precious singles, to those who've experienced loss. Lord, thank you for the church where it is a family that we can laugh together as you just produced. And in that laughing, Father, we feel the whisper of heaven, the love of our God who, who laughed as well watching me spray my hair today. Thank you for your laughter, God. Thank you that you were in that bathroom watching, loving me, laughing with me, riding in the car with me, beside me with my colored pens marking up this paper. Now I ask, O oh Holy Spirit, that you would do a profound work of getting my mind in order. Touch my tongue, touch my brain, and touch their ears and their heart. All the, so that we would enjoy you, glorify you, respond as nature in lifting our arms as the trees do to the one that has made every success possible and has eliminated every guilty stain for those who believe. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you help someone believe today? It may be sorrow that has crushed their belief, so help them see the cross. It may be addiction that has crushed their belief, so help them see the cross. It may be fear that has crushed their belief, so help them see the cross. Oh, Holy Spirit, we know that you do not want to be seen. You want the Son of God, crucified and resurrected, to be seen. You want the Father's eternal love to be seen. So do your thing, Holy Spirit. Take a, a mortal, frail, inconsistent preacher to bring eternal hope to your sheep. We pray this for ourselves and all of our brothers and sisters in the nations of the world from whom you are gathering your church. In Christ we pray, amen. Not long ago I saw a picture uh, on the web of, a, of an event that I, in nature that I didn't even know existed. Um, it was a photograph taken by a photographer um, in, a, in a helicopter flying over Castle Beach in Perth, Australia. And the picture showed a full circle rainbow. I, di I didn't know that rainbows actually did form a circle because normally when we have the picture of looking at a rainbow, Earth blocks our view or some other structure blocks our view so we see a semicircle we don't ever have the picture of being flying out over the ocean looking back like this photographer did, Colin Linhart, to see the full picture and the full circle. This is why we love 
The first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1, which we are coming to a conclusion today, and probably not fully dealing with verse 14, I don't think. But the reason that we have loved these 14 chapters is because as with no other chapter in the Bible, we see the full picture. Nothing blocks our view. We see from beginning to the end what God is doing in history. From before time to the end, we we saw that we were chosen. The reason you're here is before God created any oceans and rainbows, He chose to bring you in His kingdom before you did anything good or bad. That's mind-blowing. That's all in Ephesians 1. And then we saw that God enacted that. He made it a reality. He didn't just promise it, but in order to bring us in the kingdom, we had to be clean. So at a point in time 2,000 years ago, He sent His Son to shed His blood on the cross, the crucifixion, for the removal of our stains in our heart. Then we see that for the past 21 centuries, God has been taking this message of Christ's death and resurrection, and He has been persuading people from all around the world to come and be a part of the salvation of Jesus Christ, and they will one day stand face-to-face as saved, forgiven people before God. So he's gathering the nations together. That's what this church, our third mission statement, live on mission, we're all about because that's what Christ is all about. The gathering of nations from the world. And today, we see the end of Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, that the reason why all of this is going to work out and we'll make it to the end is that we have been sealed by the Spirit of God. This is how Paul says it, Ephesians 1.11, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who were God's possession to the praise of His glory. So when you read verses 11 and 12, you're really not going to really catch the flavor until you figure out what Paul is talking about when sometimes he says we, sometimes he says you, verse 11 and 12 are we, and then verse 13 is three you, so who is he talking about? Whenever Paul in Ephesians 1 talks about we, he's talking about himself being a Jew, and he's talking about other Jews who have come to Christ like he did and have believed the gospel. So God, throughout the Old Testament, chose to first reveal this plan that we saw in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. He first chose to reveal it to Israel. He freed them from slavery, gave them land, gave them the knowledge of the law of God, wrote from heaven, wrote it on stone tablets. And for the majority of time that Israel was following God in the Old Testament, they were not following God. They rebelled. And were almost completely destroyed. Tens of thousands and thousands of people died. But by God's grace, he kept the nation alive. It's a miracle. 
It was a miracle through the Old Testament times. It was a miracle in 1967. It's always been a miracle that Israel has stayed alive, and God has done that. But God did it all the way, keeping them alive up to the time of the, of the New Testament when Jesus Christ came so that it would be the Jews in Acts chapter 2 who first believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, a Jew of all Jews, first believed in the book of Acts the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul is rejoicing in verses 11 and 12 that by God's grace, not all Israel was destroyed. Not all of them chose not to believe. We, he's referring to Israel, Jews, were the first to put our hope in Jesus Christ. So the first people in the history of the world that had the privilege of bowing the knee to Christ, we, Jews, is what he's saying in verses 11 and 12. Then he goes, verse 13, you, and now he's even more stunned that through the preaching of the we, through the preaching of these rebellious Jews, now saved Jews, the nation started coming to Christ. Ethnicities all around the world, other nations, other peoples, black and white and people from Europe and from Asia, because of the early witness and preaching of the Jews, the Gentiles outside of Israel came to Christ. And Paul tells us that there's only one reason this happened. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So once again, Paul... He wouldn't leave it alone. He's already said twice in this passage, he talked about the predestining, foreordaining, sovereign plan of God. And now he comes back as he comes to the end of history. And just a reminder, the only reason this plan works out is because God sovereignly said, this plan will come to completion. It will work out. God's sovereignty is it's amazing the kind of reactions to it. When you say God is sovereign, He's in control of all things. Some hate it. Uh, some wrongly fear it. Some want to debate it with their three-pound brain versus God three, God's three-trillion-pound brain, thinking they can fully understand it. None of those apply to me. All I can tell you is I am totally comforted by the fact that God, there is somebody who has a plan. Somebody is overseeing the plan. Somebody originated the plan. And nobody will be able to stop the plan. You think about this. God's plan is so strong that the very church that he's writing in Ephesians, it's made up of Jews and Gentiles, exist because God took rebellious Jews, saved them, and started having them preach to idolatrous Gentiles and saved them, and they ended up in the same church. And the only reason it worked is because God works out everything in conformity to His will. The Jews 
were a part of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That crowd was misled by corrupt leaders, but they still called for the crucifixion of Jesus. And yet it was all part of the plan of God that the Son of God would be nailed to a cross so the sins of the world could be absorbed into his body. And God worked out all of their hatred and all of the greed and all of the confusion and chaos of that day in order to accomplish the church being created by forgiven people, forgiven by the blood of Christ. So here in Ephesians 1.11, we see right in this verse, which is really stamped on every page of the Bible, that the only reason that anything ever works out is God is faithful when we are faithless. That's, you could just sort of a summary statement of verse 11. You can imagine a giant ship of people headed from New York to London. A lot of things going on on that ship. People may be hitting golf balls. Some people may be skeet shooting. Some people may be watching movies. Some people may be overeating. Some people may be sinning. Some people may be quarreling. There may be stealing. But that ship is going to arrive from New York to London. So from the beginning of time, God has planned for the world, Jew and Gentile, black and white, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, and he's placed them on a ship called the church. And that church will arrive on the ports of heaven, in the ports of heaven. Nothing will stop God's plan in history. No matter how many mistakes are made on that ship, even if that ship sits for years going nowhere, it will reach its destination place because God oversees the plan. He's involved in all movements of the plan. Nothing is outside of his interest. Nothing is outside of his control. He uses all manner of suffering, technology, waiting, rebellion, evil, industry. When I look at my life, I'm 58 years old. When I look at my life and I look back and I say, why did I even make it to church today? Why did I get up yesterday, write some, cut the grass some, weed eat some, <clears throat> waste some time, go to sleep last night. When I was sleeping, I wasn't aware that I was sleeping. I was just sleeping. And then I woke up this morning had breath in my lungs, strength in my legs, and I'm standing on stage. And I've been doing that for 58 years. Much of that, 30 plus, is been in ministry. And all I can tell you is the reason that it has worked out the way it has, God has made sure that I will not miss His plan for my life. And He's working out everything in conformity with the purpose and the pleasure of His will. Not even my 1,000 failures has been able to stop that plan. God uses every atom, all energy, every event in history to accomplish his purpose of bringing together the church to the shores of heaven. So much of your life this morning probably is asking the question, how in the world can this particular today's pain fit into any plan that God would have? 
I think the double sorrow of all pain is number one, the sorrow hurts, and number two, it feels so wasted, it feels so random. And you look at Ephesians 1.11, and it says that nothing in your life is random because nothing in God's plan is random. Every millisecond of your life is connected with the plan of God bringing about everything and with conformity to His will and purpose. Not one meaningless event in the universe or your life. God is wrapping His arms around all tragedy, all persecution, all rejection, all poverty, all loneliness, all disease, all death to bring His church to the port of heaven. Every event in your life matters. It counts. It has purpose because it's connected to the grand purpose of God. And that's Paul's point. That's his first point in Ephesians 1, 11, and 12. The only reason you're part of this is because God's not going to let you miss it. It's a miracle. It's the, it's the heart of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. God's sovereign choice that you will not miss His plan. And that's why he concludes all of that in verse 12. All of this is for the praise of His glory. When God uses once rebellious Israel to preach to once idolatrous Gentiles and they're in the same church loving each other and loving Jesus Christ, all you can say is there is no one to thank but God. To God be the glory. I love how Martin Lloyd-Jones, his take on that, on that very phrase right there, the essential proof of salvation. You say, am I saved? How about this one? The essential proof of salvation is that the supreme object and ambition of the Christian's life now is to live to the glory of God. That's why we start our mission statement the way it is. Ronnie says it every time. Chris says it every time they're in state. Uh, our vision is to what? Applaud God. Three times in the book of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, the grandest picture in all of history. Three times the rephrase is all of this is for the glory of God. Now having said all this, now let's move to Paul's climactic ending. Of how he moves to the circle to the end of the rainbow to show us how we will be able to spend our life living for the glory of God. And let me just say this. When you're in heaven glorifying God, you say, is really that the purpose of life is to glorify God? And I'll, I'll elaborate on this in a minute. When you're, listen, nobody's making you do that. It's just going to all of a sudden for the first time in your life, it's going to be the biggest celebration. The biggest celebration is when you see there's no one to thank. No one will have to tell you, you need to raise your hands now. You need to shout now. My, my preaching professor, I remember my homiletics professor, someone asked him. He was a master communicator. And someone, one of our students asked him, how do you know when to be forceful in your sermons? And he said, well, I write every third paragraph, scream here. Nobody's going to have to tell you, raise your hands, scream here in heaven. Your delight will be living 
to thank God. And He loves you so much, He's going to bring you to experience that delight. And you know you are saved if you're beginning to experience that delight. Now, <clears throat> so how, do we, how are we going to get there? Because we have a ways to go on the journey, many miles on the ship. How do we know we're not going to leave the ship? The Holy Spirit's going to not let us leave the ship. Ephesians 1.13, when you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, whose deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. There it goes again. <laughs> to the praise of His glory. So what is your assurance that you're saved? Number one, God has chosen you before the world began, which meant He chose you before you started doing good things, started doing bad things, so it's not rest on, rest. heaven does not rest on your behavior of getting it right or wrong. He chose you. What's your assurance of heaven? Jesus Christ shed his blood to forgive you, Ephesians 1, 7. That's how you're going to heaven. Your sins are forgiven because of Christ's blood. How do you know you're going to heaven? Assurance number three, the ever-present moving of the Holy Spirit that keeps us walking in God's peace until we arrive on heaven's shore. The great desire of God is for you to feel secure in your salvation. The great desire of God is that you not feel doubting about your salvation, about His love for you. Everything else in this world is unstable. Your job, the stock market, your health, even precious things like family, all of these things are unstable. God does not want you to see your salvation as in one of those categories of unstable and unsure. So he gives you a seal that marks you as you can be assured that you are going to make it to heaven. And you know what I love about this? I love the fact that this, this verse is written by a man who never knew security in his life. The Apostle Paul, you can read his biography of suffering in 2 Corinthians 12. It's, it's, it's immeasurable suffering. The only certainty that Paul knew is he did not exactly know the type of suffering that would come the next day. But he knew that suffering would come. In fact, he's writing this verse on security from a Roman prison cell having been arrested for his faith awaiting his death sentence. And in the midst of everything being unstable and unsure, he writes about stability and security. And he says there are two guarantees that you can know about your security. And that is the seal and the guarantee. 
that the Spirit brings into your life. He has sealed you and He's given you a guarantee. So let's look first at what does the seal mean, and I think that's probably as far as I think that's probably as far as we'll get today, I think. What does it mean to be sealed? Well, there's a lot of pictures and there's a lot of uses of the word seal, a sealing in the New Testament and the Old Testament. My favorite comes from the Old Testament, one of my favorites. There's a story in the Old Testament of Daniel chapter 6, big hero of the Christian faith, arrested because he wouldn't stop praying. The Persian king said, if you pray one more time to your God, we're going to arrest you and we're going to kill you. And he was arrested and Daniel was thrown in a lion's den waiting for the big beast to come out and to devour him. And to make sure that he didn't get out of the den, something special was done with the lion's den. Daniel 6, 17. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. So I use a negative story to make a positive point about the sealing of God. The Persian king and his officials used their rings, put some clay or Play-Doh or something over the edge of that stone that prevented Daniel from escaping. And when they sealed it, they said, the situation of the man behind this Stone, that situation cannot ever be changed. So when the Bible says that God's Holy Spirit comes in your life, when you receive Christ and seals you, that is God's promise. Every time he looks at the Holy Spirit, he will say your situation from this point on cannot be changed. The God who chose you will never unchoose you. Amen? The God who forgave you with Christ's blood will never bring your sins back up to you. Amen? This is what the sealing of the Spirit means. Your situation in Christ will never be changed. Oh, God, I got one free. You belong to God, and you will live forever with God, and that situation will never change because you've been sealed with the Spirit. That's the third assurance that you're going to heaven. He chose you, bled for you, sealed you, your situation never is going to change. God said, this is what God says, I'm not going to let you walk away from me. You ever tried to walk away from God? Oh, 
Not a fun day, not a fun week, not a fun month for some of you, not a fun group of years. Because he won't let you. He will not let you walk away from him and stay there. He will not let you be persuaded to believe in something false to the point that you say that Jesus Christ is not the Savior of the world. You will never believe that there is any Savior but Jesus Christ once he seals you. He will not let you lose your faith in Christ as Savior. Another use of the word sealed in Scripture that I love came when Abraham received the sign of circumcision that he belonged to God. It was a literal outward seal on his body. Romans 4, and Abraham received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. Well, how, how, what does it mean in that context? It meant that Abraham's faith was now legitimate. A legitimate legal transaction had occurred between God and between Abraham. He was legitimately now and from this point on, by contract, signing of the contract, a child of God. In New Testament times, when transactions occurred... To show everybody that was part of the transaction that needed to do something, transaction like a bill of sale, you would take a piece of paper and and the person who, who was in charge of the transaction would drip hot wax on the paper and would then stamp it either with a seal or or some metal dye that had been crafted for him into that hot wax saying this is a legally binding transaction and can never be undone. Seals showed ownership. This transaction has occurred. This is now in the possession of this owner. Legally. Abraham belonged to God from that point on once he had sealed. In the port city of Ephesus, many goods would come by way of the ocean into the port city. And people would, as they came down the city, say, who do we know what belongs? What goods belong to what person as they would come onto the docks? Every part of the cargo that arrived in Ephesus had the owner's seal on the cargo. So it could not be lost. A legal transaction had occurred. Somebody was able to pick up the cargo because it was officially, had been officially, legally, rightfully done. So when the Holy Spirit seals us, He marks us as officially, legally, legitimately, permanently belonging to God. Now just think about this right now. Think about where you are right now. If you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, God sees His seal in you right now of whether or not you belong to God. And that's the only only way you can get into heaven is if he sees that seal. And if when he does see that seal, no matter how your life has been on earth, you are going to heaven. 2 Timothy 2.19, God's solid foundation stands firm, 
sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows who are His. Because they've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. How does God know who, who belongs to Him in a world of 7.3 billion people? Those who are, have the seal of the Holy Spirit inside their life. Well, the Lord knows who they are. How do I know if I belong to Him? I can't see it. You remember who wanted to see the seal? Nicodemus. He came to Jesus. He was a religious teacher. And he came to Jesus at night. He said, and basically, he had this conversation of, you know, this whole deal of this invisible stuff, things I can't see, it bothered him. And so Jesus explained to him that when the Holy Spirit moves in your life, it's like the wind. You can't see it. Who can see the wind? Nobody can see the wind, Nicodemus, but everybody can see the effects of the wind, is what he told him. You can't see the wind, you can see the effects of the wind. So we can't see the seal of the Holy Spirit, we can see the effects of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So the task of the Holy Spirit is to help us hear, sense, feel the assurance of God that we belong to Him. And how does He do that? He does that by, He works in certain ways in the life of every believer. And when these things are occurring in your life, the Holy Spirit is saying, you are sealed. If these things are not occurring in your life, the Holy Spirit is not affirming that you're sealed. In 1734, a great work of God happened in Northampton, Massachusetts. We call it the Great Awakening. And it was just, there was such spiritual power that there were also many other things happening. People would experience great uh, expressions of emotional frenzy and there was all sorts of utterances and so the main preacher of the great awakening Jonathan Edwards said we have to know what is of God and what is of not and so he wrote this little book called the distinguishing marks of a work of the spirit of God and so he listed five things that you could read about in any book of the new testament Read the New Testament and you'll see these five marks that the Spirit of God does in a person's life. He causes that person to be fascinated with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit produces constant repentance from sin. The Holy Spirit creates, creates a great interest in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit... <clears throat> Causes you to like doctrine like I'm explaining today. He creates interest in you want things explained. You love to hear theological teaching made clear. And fifth, the Holy Spirit causes you to become a loving person as Christ is loving. So the Spirit seals us. 
If these things, I mean, the, the, know, the way that you know that you have the Holy Spirit, you can't see him like the wind, but you can feel the effects of the wind. This is the effects of the wind. And the Holy Spirit is not going to affirm that he has sealed you if these things are not occurring in your life. Let me just <clears throat> take a little diversion here, and this is why I'm not going to be able to get through the passage as I wanted to. I just want to tell you, this is the purpose of life, and this is where we're headed in history. I want you to imagine that you were riding across the Atlantic Ocean 30 miles an hour in a boat. It's crystal clear, so smooth. You're headed 60 miles off coast to the greenish blue waters of the Gulf. You go spend the day fishing. It's a lot more beautiful to ride across an ocean that's calm like that is than it is to stand on the shore when a tsunami from that very same ocean is rolling in. So all of creation is more beautiful when it's not violent. And likewise, human beings are more beautiful when we are properly responding to God and giving Him the glory that He deserves. So there's going to come a day when all of creation and all of humanity will together give God the glory that He deserves, which we'll see in our next study. The Holy Spirit is a deposit, a guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So we are being restored right now as we speak, Sunday after Sunday, sermon after Sunday. We are being, we're headed to that great day where we will spend the rest of our life glorifying God with all of nature. Ephesians 1.10, God is not just bringing humanity to Christ, changing us from tsunamis to calm water. But he's bringing all things, and all things probably means all things, all of creation. So there will come a time in heaven when all of creation and all of redeemed humanity will be not tsunami-like in our hearts, but we will be perfectly responsive to God, and that is going to be, that is what God is doing, that is the purpose of mankind, that's the purpose of history as revealed in Ephesians 1, 3-14, the gathering together of all of earth and all of redeemed humanity, enjoying that eternal day of living in complete responsiveness to God. Even nature will be involved. Isaiah 55, 12. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. So why do I tell you all of this? I told you it's a diversion. Thank you for permission. Because if this is the end to which God is leading all of the world, then if you have the seal of the Spirit, you are in that process right now. Hands raised, mouth uttering, life responding by God's Holy Spirit who has sealed you and is producing a forward-looking love to that day. If that forward-looking love to that day is not occurring in your life, it is great evidence the Holy Spirit has not sealed you. And one of the great reasons you're left on earth is to have the privilege of facing temptation and saying no by the power of the Holy Spirit to love God more than 
this world and to glorify Him instead of glorifying this world. Let's read the rest of the verse. How do you know you belong to God? 2 Timothy 2.19 God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So how do you know that He sealed you? Because He will produce The Holy Spirit will produce as part of that seal a forward-looking love to the day when we will all glorify God in perfect responsiveness like nature perfectly responds to God. He will produce that in you and He will begin it now. And in the middle of the battle now, He will use the Word of God to convict you every single time your life is not responding to God with that reaching out for His glory. Let me just give you, I could give you ten this morning. I'll give you two of how the Word of God helps you with assurance that you're sealed. Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Examine yourself to see whether you're holding to your faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? And when you read that verse, you say, well, I feel anything but assurance. So if I'm sealed and loved and a forgiven child of God, why do I not feel safe right now? Because the Holy Spirit who loves you will never let you feel safe when you're living in sin. Ever. That's part of His sealing. Those who are sealed by the Spirit never feel safe in their sin. If you love somebody, if you love somebody and you see them walking toward danger, are you going to tell them as you watch them engage in that activity, your life is terrific. So the Holy Spirit uses the hard passages of the Word of God to tell you this is not who you are. This is not glorifying God. This is not what it's going to look like at the last day, and therefore this is not what it should look like today. The reason why God speaks so many warnings in the Bible is so not that He can threaten your security in God, but to threaten your security in everything but God. Whenever we place our trust in something other than God, the Spirit will use the Bible to sound threatening. These are not threats regarding God's love for you, but they are a threat that this thing has become your security. And it's not worthy of your security. It's not safe because it's not, it's not God. So how can you know you're a child of God? With all of your stumblings and all of your failings and all of your weakness and all of your last week failures, today's failures, tomorrow's failures. (laughs) We exalt Christ, but not nearly as much as we should. We love the Word, but often don't read it. We love sound doctrine, but don't apply it to our life. We love others, but we love ourselves more than others. Does this mean we do or do not have the Spirit? And I just want to tell you the very trembling of your soul and asking of that question 
The world never asks those kinds of questions. The Holy Spirit causes you to tremble and to reach out for the assurance of God's love. Your trembling is sign, is a sign that you are sealed by the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 2.14, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and he cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. A person without the Spirit never trembles, never wonders, never wants more. But the believer who has the Spirit is always wanting to come back to Christ. And let me just close with this. How do you get the Spirit? Oh, I want the Spirit today. Oh, I want to be sealed by the Spirit today. Then believe in Christ Ephesians 1.13, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Can we read that again? When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Are you covered with shame today because of something you've done in the past? Don't look to the Holy Spirit. No, you look to the cross. Place your faith in Christ. Dump your sins on the cross. Transfer your self-reliance to total reliance in Christ and He will give you the Spirit. Don't look to the Spirit. Look to Christ who gives the Spirit. Look to the blood of Jesus. Do you not have assurance today? I don't think I've done enough right. Look away from yourself and look to Christ who lived a perfectly holy life on your behalf. Look to Christ Place your faith in Christ. Believe in Christ, the gospel of your salvation, the good news that He has lived your life and He's died your death and you will receive the sealing of the Spirit. Everything comes back to believing, trusting, resting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's when you become sealed with the Spirit. So do you have the Spirit today? The most important question you can ever ask in your life. Do I have the Holy Spirit of God? Let's pray. Oh Jesus, we thank you that you you choose us, you bleed for us, you seal us. And today we, we praise you for your sovereignty that you chose us when we did, we did nothing to deserve it. Before we were born, you came after us. Thank you. While we were still enemies, not even thinking about you, you died for us, shed blood for us, and, and made provision for the covering of our sins. We thank you for your blood. And now we, we thank you for your sh the sealing of the Spirit. Oh God, we thank you for the sealing of the Spirit. For the Holy Spirit who comes and says, what has been done will never be undone. That illegal, authentic, 
genuine transaction has occurred when we believed. We've been sealed. We belong to God. We are His possession. And we will never not be His possession. God, thank You that You have put us on the ship bound for heaven across stormy seas. Thank You that You will not let us get off the ship. Many times we've wanted to jump. We did things on the ship we're not proud of. But thank You, God, that Your church is going to make it to the shores of heaven. We're going to make it to the shores of heaven because of the seal of the Holy Spirit. That You love us and You will never stop loving us. Thank You, Lord, that every conviction of Scripture is an assurance that You are loving us by telling us the truth. Thank You for all conviction. And convict us until the day we arrive. Because we want our arms raised like the trees. We want our mouths singing like the birds. We want to glorify You with all of creation. With our bodies, our minds, and our mouths. With our marriages, with our homes, with our jobs. Oh Holy Spirit, we thank You that we will one day. But we desire to do that by Your power this day. And bring the Father glory for all that He's done. In Christ I pray. Amen.